There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. My name is Nick Portillo, and today I am filming our very first episode. So exciting. There's been a lot of preparation that has gone into this. When I originally started it, I wanted to deliver as much value to people within the sales and marketing departments in food service. The food service industry is a gigantic industry. In the United States, I think it's probably almost a billion or a trillion, excuse me, a trillion dollars. And there's not a lot of books or podcasts or videos or how to be successful. When I was getting into this industry, my dad would tell me, Nick, in order to be successful, you have to just get out there and do it. There are no books that you can read. There are no videos. There's no tutorials. It's getting out there and dragging the bag, going to see customers face-to-face, succeeding and failing and putting together your process, whatever that looks like, and then just rinse and repeat. And that was always kind of the notion that I've gone with over the last seven or eight years since I started in food service. But now I'm thinking, I want to get, how can I bring more people into this industry? Or for those that are in the industry, how can I drive as much value to you as I possibly can? It shouldn't have to be that you have to get out there and really just kind of grind through it and take years to learn. If we can shorten the gap to learning and being successful and helping one another, then our industry is just going to grow at a rapid pace. And you are going to move maybe potentially quicker up in your company or maybe start your own company or achieve whatever goals or objectives that you have for yourself. So when I started in food service, I started with my dad in 2015. In my dad and I, we've always had a very close relationship. Growing up, he was my baseball coach. He was my math tutor. He was, of course, my father. As I progressed through high school and moved into college, where I went to college at, at Chapman University, as I approached my senior year, he started talking about, hey, Nick, I really have an idea. And would you be open to hearing the idea? And I remember thinking, okay, yeah, sure. What, what are you thinking? So for him, he had been in the food service industry his whole career. He started as a butcher in a meat shop, and he owned his own place for quite a while. And as he got into his more in his early 20s, he was approached by a broadline distributor where he became the center of the plate protein specialist. And from there, he transferred over into the food service brokerage world where he spent the majority of his career, I think probably over 20 years in that industry. He worked for Food Sales West, which at the time was the largest family-owned food service brokerage company in the West Coast. I, I remember growing up, they would they represented companies like Tyson and Simplot and Sara Lee. And we'd have some of these people over at our house every once in a while. We'd go to USC football games against the, the Razorbacks. And my dad was really ingrained in this world when I was growing up. And as a kid, I was pretty oblivious to what he would do all day. I, I never thought of food service as being a home for me or being an industry for me. But he really always had a passion for it. And he built relationships and he built a reputation. He really had a successful career in Food Sales West. And eventually they got to a point where they wanted to expand and, and they wanted to move to a nationwide footprint. And at the time, the, the footprint was more independently owned 
food service broker operators. Maybe you might have one in single markets, or maybe you might have some that are in more regionalized, whatever it may be. What they ended up doing, and I remember when I was a kid, I was probably in about high school, maybe college when this was happening. So think maybe late 2000s, early early 2010s. My dad would be would spend a lot of time on airplanes going out and meeting with other independently owned food service brokerage houses. And they discuss of, you know, how can we acquire your company? Because we have this vision that we want to create one nomenclature, one footprint nationwide. And the value that we're going to bring to our manufacturers is they're going to have maybe one point of contact. They're going to have scale. They're going to have, you know, size of sales team, better technology, more dollars to invest into it. It really was a great idea. So he went and spent a lot of time meeting with these independent food service broker operators, and eventually they created Advantage Waypoint. From there, he had a two-year contract with that company to stay on board, and at the end of his two-year contract, he was then a free agent. And around the time he, he became a free agent, I was in my senior year of college. I was a business major, and I was trying to, I was getting a business degree because I really wanted to be in the wealth management space. I I wanted to be a financial advisor. It was something that I always had a passion for, something that I found interesting and challenging, you know, meeting with people and helping their financial success. My second semester, senior year, I was working for Wells Fargo Advisors. I'd show up after school every day. They'd give me a list of 600 names, and I would just call that list over and over and over and over again, trying to set up appointments and bring in funnel and leads. And it was a really great learning experience for me. I learned how to be a little bit more comfortable on on the phone. I learned how to build out a script. And I learned the very basics of how to sell. So as I progressed through my, my the second semester of my senior year, my dad really, really, really had a great idea. And that idea was he wanted to start a food service brokerage company. And he, t- he would ask me time and time again, Nick, I have this idea. Do you want to start a company together? And I would always adamantly say, no, I have no interest in starting a food service brokerage company with you. Food service is not my home. It's not something that I'm interested in. It's not just, no, I don't know anything about it. And can even make money in food service? Is this even a place where I can be successful? So as as my time at Wells Fargo Advisors slowly started coming to an end, because it was just a part-time position. It wouldn't lead to any long-term employment after graduation. I started interviewing with other companies like Merrill Lynch and uh, other large wealth management firms. And as I was going through that interview process, my dad told me, just while you're going through the interview process, just come work with me. I'm going to put all the chips, all my chips in. I'm all in. I want to start this company together. And I'd love just some help. You know, maybe we can let's start out and let's go buy some equipment. So we we went out and we bought a couple computers. We got this tiny little office. I think it was probably like two or 300 square feet. It was so small. We had a very steep mountain to climb. At the time you had consolidation going on. You had these very large national brokers being formed. They were a, definitely a force to be reckoned with. They had just the size and the number of people and the technology and the, and the industry know-how and the relationships, especially at the broadliner level. I mean, they were just so dominant. And so how can a team of two based out of Southern California, you know, make a dent and be effective in this industry? 
the food broker business, it's a low margin, high volume game. The more volume you can have, the more sales you have, the more you're going to make. But with two people, just with a, a little uh, landline phone in front of them, you know, how are we going to be successful? So one week with my dad, with all of our new equipment and our phones and this dream, I didn't know, again, I, I didn't, I wasn't all in yet. And one week turned into a month and then a month turned into three months. Next thing you know, the summer has ended. We're getting into the fall. Now my first year has concluded and three years goes by, five years goes by. And now here we are starting our eighth year together. And it has been one of the most rewarding ventures or journeys that I've ever taken. I, I mean, my dad truly is a best friend to me. He is a mentor. He's my father. And this journey has been incredibly, incredibly rewarding. But at the time, it was very slow to start. I remember I would really just bang my head against the wall. I would be sending out emails and text messages and trying to find people online. And simultaneously, my dad, he was just a sales animal. He'd have his whiteboard, he'd write down all of his targets every day, and he'd just make the calls over and over and over and over and over again. He'd do that all day long, where here I am trying to type away and get appointments with operators, operators being like restaurants and college universities and food service accounts like that. And it was really slow to start. We represented a chia company, we represented a pizza dough company, we represented pre-made sandwiches. We represent all these companies for free and we were doing pro bono work. We, it, we, it took us, I think, 10 months until we actually got a client that paid us our first dollar. So it was a process and a half. And I remember in my early days, as I'm sitting there typing away, my dad eventually said, Nick, you got to stop with that. One thing I want you to learn and one thing that you need to learn to be successful as a food service broker or just in food service in general is you need to be able to talk to adults. And if you don't start picking up that phone and start dialing, you are never going to make it. You have to feel comfortable being uncomfortable. So it was a real mindset shift for me. So what I started to do was we got set up a cooler bag and I went down, I, I just started on Pacific Coast Highway in Laguna Beach. I went to small little boutique cafes. I'd have my little bottles of chia water. I'd have my sandwiches. I'd have my dough balls. And I would just make presentation, just cold calls all day. And then I, I would just walk on one street and just hit all the restaurants. And then maybe I'd move over to Newport Beach and then I'd on PCH and just hit all the restaurants. And then I'd go to Anaheim where there's tons of different large hotels around the Disneyland area. And I would just walk in cold call, cold call. I started to build some momentum. I started to build some confidence, which I, I, I desperately needed. You know, I had the experience of making cold calls back when I was interning and doing the financial advising game. But this was a whole new world that I had never experienced before. It was scary and it's hard. And, you know, my dad would say, Nick, there's no books that you can read on, on, on how to be successful in this industry. And I'm sorry, you just have to get out there and do it. So how did we navigate through all of this? We had very well-established, very strong competition. We were an unknown. We were a two-man team. We were really a, a man and a half. We had my, my dad and then I was a half. I didn't know what I was doing. 
And so we, we said, you know what, we need to hire some people. So we went out and hired our first two employees, probably within the first five or six months of starting the company. Financially, terrible idea. We, <laughs> my dad had leveraged everything as, as well as myself, our savings accounts, everything to make this work, to bring on two salespeople, outside salespeople to get out there and quote unquote, as we say in the industry, drag the bag, which just means taking around a cooler bag of, of items. It was not a smart investment. And luckily, one of the people, she didn't even make it to the first day on the job. She wanted a, an advance, uh, a payment advance before starting. And so we said, you know what? It's not going to work out. We can't give anybody a payment advance. And then the other person, he was actually really great to us. And he, he only lasted three months. He ended up, I believe, into the tech space. So he moved out of food service. So again, it was my dad and I. But we stayed at it. And over time, uh, probably about a year, year and a half into it, we hired on our first person that stuck around and he was with us for a few years. He had recently retired and we brought him on to work with us. Uh, he worked two days a week and he really became a mentor to me. How to, how to get out there and be comfortable making sales calls, you know, uh, putting together all the documents that you need and all the paperwork and uh, the proper follow-up and how to, you know, how to be effective in the, making those sales calls. So he was a huge help to us. So we had one part-time person and lo and behold, this felt like we were starting to gain a little bit of traction. We started to get some brands to say, you know what, I'm small, or I'm smaller, and I just need some personalized attention. And what do you guys think? Would you represent me? And even if the check was, you know, a hundred dollars a month, or maybe we'd make like five hundred dollars a month, or a thousand dollars a month, it was, you know, what I have to stop the bleeding of financially because we're running out of money. In fact, with our with the employee, the first employee that we had that only lasted one month, I had, I had paid him his final paycheck. Had I gone any further, I would have ran out of money to pay him. So it was a big risk. It was a big gamble. And I, I think for both parties, it worked out really, really well. So we had our new part-time person and he was my, a mentor to me. He helped our company grow. And we started to gain a little bit of traction, as I was saying. And it, it, it wasn't a lot. It really wasn't a lot. I remember one of the very first brands that we got that was a decent paying brand. We said, you know what? We know you're with another broker right now. What if we just made it a competition? Let's say we're going to go out and sell as much as we can in 30 days. Allow your current broker to go out and sell as much as 30 days. Whoever wins gets to represent you. Deal? And I remember them saying, deal. You got a deal. That 30 days we made between the three of us so many calls it was insane and in 60 days we had the contract in our hands we signed it and wow what a it was just a relief when you put all of your blood sweat and tears into something and you know you're you're just it's just failure after failure after failure it was no after no no you can't represent me no i'm not interested in the products that you have come see me in six months new the words new and change we found people hate those things they hate new and they hate change just because it's super uncomfortable. I think just as human beings, it, it's just difficult to go through that, especially when you make a big decision like a, 
hiring a food service broker. There's cost to it. You know, you have to have a relationship with those people. You have to have trust and there has to be integrity that you're going to get the job done. There's a lot of different moving pieces. And especially if you're with another food service broker at the time, you have to you have to sever relationships and start anew, maybe fly out and do training. There's costs involved. So as we started to move along, we started to pick up one brand here and then another brand there and then a, a third and a fourth and a fifth. And we started to get to a size where I think we're doing probably in year two or so, we're probably at $200,000. And $200,000 just literally covered our cost. We weren't really, we weren't taking home a paycheck. And again, just kind of reinvesting back into the company. It just really took some time. But $200,000 felt a heck of a lot better than $2. So as we started to build momentum, we thought, you know what? There is a competitor of ours here in Southern California. They have a team of six. They've been around for a long time. And the owner is getting a little bit older. And maybe he'd be willing to retire and sell his company to us. So we started to build a relationship with this person and with his company. And we got to know, uh, learn a little bit about his people. And he said, you know what? I am ready to retire. I don't want to retire today, but I need to have a succession plan. My employees are the most important thing, or most important asset that I have. They are like family. I want them to be taken care of for as long as they want to work. And so we said, you know what? We have an idea. Why don't you sell us your company? And in exchange, we will employ your team members for as long as they want a job. Now, looking back, when we put together that deal, it was probably the best deal we possibly could have done. We had, it was no money up front. It was a huge gamble. And I remember in December of that year, that I believe it was late, probably late 2016, I was sitting down at a, at a table in their office. We took over their office as well. And I had the six of them there. I had the part-time guy that I had and I remember telling them, okay, I'm, I'm 23, 24, and I'm now your boss. And I understand that I, you know, my experience is only maybe a year and a half, two years at the tops, more like a year and a half, but I have a vision and we're going to grow and we are going to build out a great piece of business. My dad and I always, always felt that there was this sweet spot that was missing in the food service broker industry in Southern California. We wanted to have size and we wanted to pair that with the best of the best possible people that we, that we could find. How could we find salespeople that had a lot of experience and who had relationships already and not just relationships anywhere with what we call strategic accounts. And these strategic accounts are, you know, kind of your needle movers in the industry. Think of like a large restaurant chain or maybe a, a large Hilton property or, you know, for Southern California, USC or UCLA. I mean, these are massive food service operations. And it takes a different kind of skill set for someone to sit in front of these large operators, especially, let's say, a, a restaurant chain has 100 or 300 locations to speak their language and understand what is important to them. So we want to just gather as many of these people as we possibly could and have size. We were never going to get to the size of you know some of these national broker organizations, or at least not anytime soon. But we knew we we're going to hone in on those strategic accounts, and we we're just going to 
it just kind of own them as much as we possibly could. So when I was sitting in front of this group of of uh, six or seven, eight people, and telling them, "Hey, I'm now the boss. I'm the 23, 24 year old boss," it was different. And looking back now, all uh, of those six. Uh, the majority of them retired out themselves, and we still have two people left, and they've just been such a uh, breath of fresh air. They've been phenomenal to us, and it was truly a blessing that we were able to meet the owner and meet the company and and partner together and, and acquire their business, and so that was probably late 2016, and as we started to progress, as we got into 2017, I would have been 24 at this point in time. That is the year we went from 200,000 and then in, in 12 months time, we became a million dollar company. At 24 years of age, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would have a million dollar company. To get to a million, it was very painful. It, there was a lot of failure. There was a lot of embarrassment. There was a lot of feeling uncomfortable all the time. I'm, I'm 29 now today, but at that time, I was the youngest person in every room that I walked into. And so going back to my dad said, Nick, you need to learn how to talk to adults. It's important. I started to see years later that this was a skill that I was starting to develop. And it was super important because I needed to be able to persuade or sell or or whatever it may be to people who have been in the industry for such a long time. And how are they going to look down on someone who's 24 and say, you know, I have 30 years of experience, you have two. You know, there's a, there's an experience gap there. And it's something that's scary and it's hard to overcome. But here I was at 24, I had this million dollar company. I remember I had in my office a rolled up sleeping bag and I would some nights I would sleep there or I'd do these crazy hours trying to make this this work. I think it was really taking the bull by the horns, if you will, and trying to drag this company along. And as we slowly went, we started to gain traction. We were highly leveraged. Every time we'd make a dollar, we'd have to spend a dollar. And we were constantly reinvesting back into the business. And it was a scary proposition. But from about 2017 to 2019, we really started to, to add in some better brands, some bigger brands, some higher paying brands. And then in 2019, it, it, it felt like, well, it, it felt like my world had really started to crumble. The foundation that, I, that, that we had built it started to have cracks in it. And what had happened was within a 12-month period of time, we had four large brands. And these four large brands were all were head and shoulders larger than the other brands that we represented. And some of them were ones that my dad and I brought on ourselves. And then I, I believe the other... Two of them were from, from what my dad and I brought on ourselves, and then two of them were from the company that we acquired. And all four of these companies in a 12-month period of time said, you know what, it's been a good run, but we are gonna, we're going to look elsewhere, or we were selling our company, or whatever it may have been, and we're going to go in a different path. So in 2019, it was a huge, huge, huge wake-up call for us. Everything, all of the momentum and the goodwill and everything we had built up was just gone. And we, it, we weren't at square one, but we were at a very difficult point in time in 2019. So we started in 2015 and here we are four years later in 2019 and our world felt like it was falling apart. So we decided, you know, let's, let's regroup, let's rethink. And by the time we started to uh, again build some momentum, it was March of 2020, 
I was walking into the back of a kitchen at a large hotel here in Orange County. I had my bag of, of goods in there and that I was trying to sell. It was pouring down rain. And I remember that the just a, a week or two prior, the Expo West that happens every year in Anaheim had just been canceled. There was this thing called COVID or the coronavirus going around. And I had no idea what it was. I was still out there trying to sell and, and bring on new customers. And I remember I, I went from account to account to account to account that day. And everyone kept saying, I just lost another group of uh, large catering group, or I just lost another reservation, or there's no one coming tonight, or it was kind of mayhem and it was it was scary. And, and I remember at the end of the day, going to the grocery store, sit, standing in the pouring rain, looking at all of these just kind of like droves of people going to the local Rouse, the local grocery store. And I'd go in there and the shelves are just picked over. You know, I'm just sitting there in the pouring rain thinking, is this the end? We had built this company, my dad and I. In 2019, we lost our four largest brands. And now in 2020, they're shutting everything down. It, it, it didn't take long to now we couldn't go out into public anymore with the exception of going to the grocery store. And between April, May, and June, especially in California, the laws really got very tough for food service operators and food service companies to stay afloat. A lot of places went out of business. And here my dad and I were, we had an entire team of employees and, and you know, the overhead and, and the, the money isn't coming in and what are we going to do? And between the time that the, the first day it, it shut down to maybe a year, year and a half later when, when, the COVID vaccine started to come out and then the boosters, it took a while. We went, we, the industry would open up so we could sit outside of restaurants and then it closed and it opened a little and then it closed. Like it was so, it was such an imbalance and it was super scary. Now looking back, what is it now? Two years later here in 2022, my dad and I, we needed the lessons that we learned from COVID. It made us better entrepreneurs. It made our relationship stronger. It made our team stronger. Our processes and our systems got stronger. We really, in 2020, it allowed us the, the time and the freedom to sit down and think, what is it, you know, determining our why, determining what value can we bring? Uh, how can we deliver more value? How can we have better people, better systems, better processes? And as we got into 2021 and 2022, some of our competitions, some of them started consolidating even more and there was more brands available. And here we were sitting there. We had expanded out into Northern California. We had expanded out into Nevada and here we were sitting there just waiting patiently. And the way our business has really grown is from referrals. So when we have a client that says, hey, you know what? I, I kind of like what you Portillo boys are doing. And so you know what? I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to tell my peers. And then their friends find out and their peers find out and then they call us. And then there would be a time where we, we especially like 2018, 2019, uh, a little bit of 2020, we'd get interviews, but we wouldn't win them. They'd always go to another broker, but it was good practice. And we felt this, again, it's all about that momentum 
momentum as we started to lift up out of the coronavirus as a little bit more consolidation happened and, and kind of the food service, the decision makers and the people were retiring out or positions were changing or they were manufacturers or brokers or distributors were reducing uh, the number of people that they had on their team. All of this started to change. And we said, you know what, let's just stay put. Let's keep who we have. Let's keep the let's keep everything intact as much as we possibly can and hold on for as long as we possibly can and let's just see if this through it, looking back i mean hindsight's 2020 no pun intended it was the best possible decision we could have made i mean it was a huge gamble it was a huge risk but here we are now in 2022 and we have nearly tripled our business in about 12 to 24 months time, we've gone to a level that we never thought possible. And now on our journey, it's, you know, how can we continue to hire the best of the best people? How can we continue to drive as much value as we possibly can to a food service manufacturer? The food service brokerage world has changed a lot in this amount of time. And there's so many different lessons and learnings that, that have come from it. But I really wanted to start this podcast because I wanted to talk to you, the people that are in the sales and marketing departments at manufacturers or distributors or brokers. This food service world is nearly a trillion dollar industry and there's not enough information out there on how to be successful. It shouldn't have to be seven or eight years to learn how to do something. How can I learn it in three months or six months? You know, kind of that life hack. And it's by consuming information and, and having mentors and just surrounding yourself with the people who have been there and done that. And this podcast, every episode, I'm going to interview some real movers and shakers in the food service industry. This is going to be owners of companies, vice presidents of sales. It may be operations managers or founders, owners, CEOs, presidents, vice presidents, you name it across the board in food service. I want to bring and drive as much value as I possibly can to you. And in return, you know, share it, tell your friends. And it's going to be a fun journey together. And I'm so excited. I just want to say thank you for joining me on my very first episode. It's going to be a heck of a ride. This is Nick Portillo with the Titans of Food Service Podcast. Thank you for listening.